We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this episode we'll be talking mls decision day roundup pulisic the peppy train the u.s women's national team england loss elvis dawn of the league's cup arsenal ronaldo mls end of the year awards and so much more but first joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light david mossy a soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire mossy how you doing on this uh, monday october 10th in the year 2022 i can't believe it's october it's amazing i'm doing well and for those that can see us right now, I do want to point out that I received the same hat as you as a gift. Ah. I would have gladly worn it today had you not been wearing yours, but I thought it would be a bit cheesy if we were wearing it's the same hat. It's not cheesy. I mean, uh, actually, a, a shout out and a thank you. Look, first off, you send us stuff, free stuff, good chance it's going to make its way on the State of the Union podcast, all right? Uh, the good folks over there at uh, Yank Report, uh, at Report Yank on Twitter, if you're uh, following them, and you should follow them. Sam Stokes does a great job both uh, on Twitter, but more importantly, uh, with his YouTube content that he puts out there. Really, really interesting um, and um, in depth in the way that he talks about soccer, and in particular, the uh, U.S. men's national team. Anyway, he's got a new apparel company out called Since 76 Apparel, and he was kind enough to send us this. They got some other stuff coming out. It's all very uh, Americana and um, an American-focused, especially relative to uh, the U.S. men's national team and the World Cup, and uh, not just the U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team and the World Cup and stuff like that. So yeah, they sent us a couple of hats here. I'm wearing mine. I don't think it would be a problem if we we're both wearing it, but you do you, my friend. So thank you uh, to, uh, to Sam over there. Um, um, you watch anything interesting? I am caught up on Andor, which is the Star Wars show on oh. Disney Plus. I didn't even know you were watching that. Okay. I cannot believe how good it is. I cannot believe how smart it is. Really? Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's a sci-fi show is completely ancillary to the plot. It, it basically could be any show where a group of oppressed people try to start a rebellion. Good writing's good writing. Yeah, and and it's this whole different take on Star Wars where the the Empire, they actually humanize these people. They show what their lives are outside of work, them coming home to their families. So the Empire isn't just a bunch of people walking around with British accents and scowls and you know what I mean? They actually like, they actually, it's such a well-developed show. I, I can't even believe that this is, that I'm watching a Star Wars program and it's this smart. It's done for adults. Is this, is this the first season, second season? What are we looking at here? What? First season. First season. So this is the start of it. Multiple episodes every week they come out and that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, they're releasing one a week. It's I think this first season is 12, and then they've already uh, said there's a second season uh, with 12 on the right. way. Well, I'll watch it when it's all done, when it's all done and dusted. But I'm, I'm glad that it's uh, that it's good. I watched uh, the Elvis movie. You've seen the uh, the Elvis movie, the new Elvis biopic um, with uh, Tom Hanks and, and uh, the the young man that plays uh, Elvis. It was it was good. It was not great. I think it suffers because it tries to be something at times that either it isn't or it can't be. You know when um, you know when the Queen uh, biography came out uh, with uh, you know Freddie Mercury and stuff like that. It was a much more kind of true to bio documentary style type of thing. Uh, or biodoc, whatever you want to call it, as opposed to the Elton John that was much more fanciful and full of romance and and music and stuff like that. This one tried to be both of those things, and so it took me out of it. Um, but obviously, they spent a lot of money, and I, I think that you know some of the production is is really really well done, and the whole story about uh, Colonel Parker and and the influence that he had on Elvis and the way that he was worked. Uh, is is an interesting story. Anyway, uh, so that's the one that uh, that I watched. Anything else? That's it. All right, should we light this candle? Let's do Where it. Where do you want to start? Because, my friend, the MLS regular season is over. Done and dusted. Put a fork in it. The musical chairs that we talked about now for multiple weeks here, uh, the music has stopped, and there are only a couple of teams that actually have those prize chairs. Should we check out the standings first before we do anything? Yeah, let's start with the Western Conference. Uh, LAFC, first place. We already knew that going into Decision Day. Austin were locked into number two. Dallas, the Galaxy, and Nashville had already clinched playoff berths, but there was some seating implications to Decision Day. They all won, so they finished where they started. Dallas, three. The Galaxy, four. Nashville, five. And then uh, Minnesota and RSL snatched the last two playoff berths. We're going to go through the games in a minute and tell you how. But uh, so that's how it shook out. So in terms of playoff matchups, LAFC get a bye. Austin will host RSL. Dallas will host Minnesota. And the Galaxy will host Nashville. The winner of that Galaxy-Nashville game faces LAFC in the second round. So we could have an Trafico in the playoffs this season. Okay. Let's go to the East now uh, and check that out. Just so we have some context and understanding when we start talking about uh, all of these games. Uh, Philadelphia finished atop the East. That was still in doubt going into decision day. So we'll go over that in a minute. Montreal, number two, NYCFC and the Red Bulls both won. So they secured home first round games, NYCFC three and the Red Bulls four. Uh, Cincinnati made the playoffs, ended up fifth. Uh, Inter Miami sixth. Orlando also snatched the berth on decision day. They end up in seventh. That means Philly has a bye. Montreal hosts Orlando. NYCFC hosts Inter Miami. And uh, the Red Bulls host Cincinnati. All right, before we get into talking about the games specifically, uh, as I've said time and time again, Major League Soccer, as we know, does not have promotion relegation. Okay, what separates the good from the bad, what separates the success from failure is the playoff line. And yes, not making the playoffs does not have the, dr the drastic ramifications that exist uh, in a relegation. It is still the line of demarcation. And so, for the record, Columbus, failure. Charlotte, I know it's harsh because it's your first year, failure. New England, failure. Atlanta, failure. Chicago, failure. Toronto, failure. D.C., failure. 
Portland, failure. Vancouver, failure. Colorado, failure. Seattle, failure. Kansas City, failure. Houston, failure. And San Jose, failure. Everybody else was successful. And certainly there is a potential now for more success when we go on. And if you didn't make the playoffs in a league where 50% of the teams make the playoffs, in a league that bends over backwards to make you uh, competitive and to manufacture parity, you're damn right it's a failure. And you should feel shame. All right, boss. And bear in mind, the playoffs don't matter because LAFC have already won. That's true. I forgot. I thought we were going to get Matt Doyle on to debate <laughs> you on this. Uh, maybe a different week. Uh, but let's go through the decision day games beginning in the West. Uh, we had a showdown for a playoff spot. RSL hosting Portland. RSL needed a win. Portland only needed a draw. RSL prevailed 3-1. to one. Savarino, Ruben, and Davis with the goals. Espria scored for Portland. RSL are in. Portland, last year's Western Conference champions, are out. In what was certainly a, a horrible week for Portland in general, and Portland soccer in particular, uh, given the news and the Ace Report and all that kind of stuff, uh, we, we find ourselves now in a situation where there is no Cascadia in the playoffs. And Portland did not show up for this game. And RSL deserves a tremendous amount of credit, not just for this game, but for what Pablo Mastrani has come in and done with less than others. But in the game that they needed it most, RSL showed up and Portland didn't. So congratulations to Pablo Mastrani and RSL going into the uh, playoffs. Uh, Eric Williamson did not play. And, and Gio made some strange comments about it afterwards. Uh, what's going it, on there? I mean, it's you can always kind of read between the lines. And this happens oftentimes where th there is a problem. There is an obvious problem that has nothing to do necessarily with the physical abilities or skill. It could be he doesn't want to do what Gio Savarese wants him to do, or he did something that was so egregious that, that he couldn't fathom starting him, but he also didn't want to completely throw him under the bus in a public way. But that's not good, especially, you know, I've said this before, you don't have to like the players that you play with. You don't even have to necessarily like the players that you coach. But at some point, at some point, it, this is professional sports. You have to do what is good for the team. And Gio, in this moment, I think probably did what he felt was good for the team. But did he, you know, bite off his nose to spite his face in this case, and therefore not give Portland uh, by not playing uh, Williamson the best possible chance of success? Because Williamson, unless he's hurt, you know, this is this is a very good player that they certainly could have used. Uh, Minnesota and Vancouver battled for a playoff spot. Vancouver needed a win. Minnesota only needed a draw. They left nothing to chance. A 2-0 victory. Fragapon early. Jonathan Gonzalez late. The same Jonathan Gonzalez whose decision to represent Mexico over the U.S. signaled the end of American soccer, you might recall. Uh, the Loons are in. Vancouver is out. Yeah, I mean, the Loons are, are backing in. It was, you know, great scenes and a wonderful type of moment. And if there ever was a moment to get it right... This was uh, this was it, and Vancouver was was flying at this point. But again, Cascadia does not exist in 2022 as far as the uh, MLS scene and playoffs are, are concerned. Uh, the Galaxy finishing the regular season playing some good ball, three one win away to Houston. Puj, Chicharito, and Jovalich with the goals. As I mentioned, they're going to host a first round game against Nashville. That might be the most intriguing first round matchup. And then if they win that, El Trafico. So what do you make of the Galaxy entering the playoffs? It's been an underwhelming year for the Galaxy. And yet, I, I, I don't know why it is, but I find myself 
not wanting to bet on the galaxy. And I know I'm being colored by the year, but they, they, they sneaky and quietly got it together. And, you know, Pouge coming in, Ricky Pouge coming in, I think is, has been wonderful for, uh, for that team. But yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be really really interesting. If after all the ups and downs and and many of the downs going forward, they find you know they were they were really good by the way in in Houston. And I know it's Houston and everything, but the coordination, the understanding, the chances that were that, that they were creating, uh, this is this is a not just I don't know how strong a Galaxy team this is, and they are you know they do have uh, weaknesses, but this is a confident Galaxy team right now, and. What have you done for me lately? Nobody really cares what you did in the regular season. They found a way. Let's let's be honest. All of the other drama that was going on, the Galaxy relatively easily just found a way into the playoffs, and that they are in a position to host a game. That's pretty. That's pretty special and impressive, given where they were not too long ago. Uh, Dallas two one home win over SKC. Legit and Ariola with the goals for them. Zussi scored for SKC. Uh, Dallas the third seed in the West. Uh, you know, Dallas has had a, it's not a quiet, it's only quiet because it's Dallas, but they have made us care this year. And if nothing else, that is a step in the right direction. You know, the, the Areola trade and and Legette even coming over and then Jesus Ferreira, who, you know, knock on wood, stays healthy because I think he's going to be the number nine for for better or worse. And we, you know, it's not the debate or discussion right now, but as it relates to FC Dallas, he is flying. This team is flying. And they finished up strong, and so yeah, they'll take they'll take on Minnesota, and I would favor FC Dallas in Dallas against Minnesota. Uh, Nashville one nil winners away to LAFC. Teal Bunbury with the goal. Uh, Mukhtar did not score, but he does claim the Golden Boot at twenty three. He finished one ahead of Driussi and Gazdag. Uh, whether he's your MVP or not, we'll find out at the end of today's show. Yes, correct? we're going to save that to the end, uh, but. This was, I, I mean, this was a successful regular season for Nashville. Keep in mind, for those that might have forgotten, Nashville was my, and still is, my pick to win MLS Cup. They're going to have to go through, like you said, the uh, Los Angeles Galaxy and a flying Los Angeles Galaxy in Los Angeles. But I guess if winning in Los Angeles, if you need to show that you can do that, this is not a bad way to go in. So gut feeling, who wins that game? Uh, the Galaxy. The Galaxy. <laughs> Uh, listen, Mossy, we, uh, we we record this. Obviously, stuff happens as we go on. Uh, there are already reports uh, right now of some stuff happening when it comes to uh, to coaches right now. So uh, are we done with the West or should yeah, we move on? I think given the news we just got in our ears, let's transition to the East to get there as quickly as possible. Okay, but, but, uh, but before we do that, uh, LAFC, as we mentioned, has the bye. As much as I want at Nashville to live up uh, to my prognostication at the beginning of the year. I, I'm still going to go with the Galaxy over Nashville. I'm going to go with FC Dallas, uh, who's hosting Minnesota, over the Loons. And I'm going to go with Austin over uh, RSL, Austin home. So all three home teams I'm going with right now. All right, let's transition to the uh, Eastern Conference. Okay, so there were uh, two playoff spots up for grabs. Uh, Cincinnati only needed a draw away to D.C. They got a lot more than that. 5-2 win. My man Brenner with a hat trick, his third of the season. Vasquez and Acosta scored as well. They were all assisting each other. Brenner and Vasquez each finished with 18 goals. Acosta led the league with 19 assists. So Cincinnati in the playoffs for the first time, and I think a dangerous team with that attack. 
Yeah. And they've shown that they can go on the road. And I know it's DC United. And and can I just say something about DC United? I mentioned all the, the failures when it comes to not making the playoffs. This was embarrassing. Okay. This was this you didn't show up at all. And it's embarrassing to yourselves as players and as a team and to the hit great history of that team. And I know it's not a good year, and I know you're not a good team, but still put a little bit of effort in. And, and that's not taking away from what Cincinnati is. I think that they're a very good team and obviously incredibly improved right now. Hey, how do we get uh, your friend Brenner on the plane to Qatar? <laughs> <laughs> well, Get a look in. As you'll find out when we go through the European games, there's some competition there as far as Brazilian know, attacking players. I know. But, um, but he has come good. I mean, oh. remember when he first showed up? Uh, and, and I know it, it's not easy in that situation there, but there were a lot of people saying, whoa. This is not going to happen. Well, we're going to do your comeback player of the year at the end of the show. If you could have that award within a season, like come back from the first half of the season to right. the second half of the season, you know, he would probably win it. But um, the other playoff spot was decided in Orlando. You wonder how people like Zach Kenworthy get ahead in this business. It's foresight because a couple weeks ago <laughs> we were debating in the Fox offices which game we should grab for decision day. And he had his eye on Orlando Columbus, and that ended up being the game on decision day, especially because Cincinnati jumped all over D.C. early. So we knew Orlando needed a win. That other avenue for them had been closed. They were down 1-0, Etienne with the goal for the crew, but we knew the crew had this penchant for blowing leads, conceding late goals. Uh, sure enough, Junior Urso equalizes early in the second half, and then... Orlando awarded a penalty late. I had no issue with that decision. Benji Michelle with an acrobatic finish. Dejanek blocks it with his arm. That should have been a penalty. They reviewed it. They gave it correctly. Facundo Torres converts 2-1. And then Orlando hung on. Wild scenes at the end when they tried to sub off a player. They wouldn't let the guy on. So There's they had always to drama in Orlando with, with that Orlando guys. team. They're always screaming and yelling at somebody. Nevertheless, they get the result 2-1. They're off to the playoffs. Third straight season under Oscar Pereja. Uh, Columbus misses out for the second straight campaign after winning MLS Cup in 2020. And there are reports that Caleb Porter is out in Columbus. Okay, so they're going to have to pay him off. Is it a surprise that that is happening? Uh, uh, and, it's, and again, it's not confirmed, but it's being reported, as I mentioned and, and teased. There is stuff that is happening in real time while we are recording this, and we want to make sure that we, we get it in there. Uh, so it's not official by any stretch of the imagination yet, but it, those reports are out there. And that should come as no surprise, given the the problems that this team has had over the last couple of years, and some of them that you mentioned. And it's glass half full, glass half empty, right? And when we talked to Caleb Porter a couple of days ago in preparation for the game, you know, he was quick, as you would expect somebody who has 16 ties on on the year to point to, you know, if we turn some of those into wins, everything looks rosy. The problem is that you didn't. And that's, you know, I think if this is true in terms of them making a change in uh, in Columbus, it's because it's gotten stale and the results were just not there. And there's much bigger expectations. And as far as you know, we just talked about Cincinnati. When it comes to Ohio, hell is real if you're from Columbus uh, right now relative to the MLS team. It's 17 goals conceded in the last 15 minutes of matches for Columbus this season, which is remarkable. Remember, the game before, midweek against Charlotte, they had a 2-0 lead and ended up just 2-2 there. They conceded a equalizer and stoppage time, so they really have to be kicking themselves. And that's a team that, had they gotten in, I think would have been very dangerous with Zella Rayan and Cucho Hernandez. 
Uh, th- this is a big fail for them. I think they have too much talent to be watching the playoffs. That's from home. that's the other thing right now. If it has gotten stale, and if the reporting is true, and by the way, Paul Tenorio and Sam Stagecool are both reporting that Caleb Porter is out as head coach of the Columbus Crew, and they're expecting an announcement later today. Again, we're recording this on Monday, so by the time you're listening to this, it might uh, the, the news may have broken. And it's it's not necessarily a surprise. They have higher expectations uh, when it comes to this, and it goes back to what I talked about. There are repercussions. There are ramifications from failure and not making the uh, the playoffs. And can we talk about Oscar Pareja for one sure. second? Third straight season making the playoffs. One U.S. Open Cup. We know what he did before with Dallas. He's sixth all time in league wins. He has the most wins of any MLS coach without an MLS Cup title, which is not necessarily a <laughs> milestone that you want. But nevertheless, boy, he that guy does a really good job, huh? He is just a silent assassin. All right, he's very. <laughs> whenever you get a chance to talk to him, he's very quiet. Does not say a lot. To be to, to be quite honest, he doesn't give us a lot from a television perspective but he obviously has the ear of his players. Now, having said all of that, uh, this is not a great Orlando team. And this did not fill me with confidence in the way that they played. And I know they got the result that they needed, but going into the playoffs, this is not a team that I would look to do uh, to do much damage when it comes to uh, you know the, the, uh, the Eastern uh, playoffs over there. Uh, both NYCFC and the Red Bulls won. NYCFC 2-1 away to Atlanta. Gabriel Pereira and Ebbich with the goals, both Brazilian. And then the Red Bulls beat Charlotte 2-0, both goals by young Elias Manuel, also Brazilian. I I didn't plan this, folks, but I mean, it was was kind of a theme on decision. (laughs) They Brenner with the hat trick, Junior Urso scoring for Orlando. Uh, And then the goals I just mentioned. So NYCFC finish as the third seed. The Red Bulls finish as the fourth. Both their first round playoff games will be at Red Bull Arena. NYCFC, of course, can't use Yankee Stadium. They could have used City Field. Uh, Whoa, look at you. My little shot at Mets fans. Um, uh, That's now available, but uh, thoughts on those? Didn't you say last week you couldn't fathom a situation where where NYCFC would be hosting their MLS playoff game in uh, their major rival stadium? No, no. What I said was MLS said they were going to host their game at Red Bull Arena unless they were facing the Red Bulls. Uh, I know that that NYCFC stadium situation has led to some farcical situations in recent years, but that was a bridge too far for MLS. For them to have played a home playoff game at the stadium of the team they were facing would have been too much. But it's a moot point because it, that's not the matchup in the first round, so they can where, play at Red Bull Where Arena. were they play, though? If they had played the Red Bulls and NYCFC was the home team? There was some chatter about what's the stadium in Hartford that Rob Stone left? Oh, Rentschler. Rentschler, yeah. That, that might have okay. been the backup option there. Okay. But now it's okay. But it's okay since they're not. Oh, well, yeah, because it. they're facing okay. Inter Miami. Uh, all right. So with the, so you mentioned Philadelphia. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, the, the other bit of intrigue in the East was who would get the one seed. Philadelphia had a two point lead on Montreal going into decision day. Montreal had more wins. So a victory for them and Philly dropping points would have given Montreal the top spot. Montreal held up their part of the bargain. 3-1 win away to Inter-Miami. Uh, Mihailovic, Kai Kamara among the goal scorers there. But Philadelphia took care of Toronto 4-0. MVP candidate Daniel Gazdag with a hat trick. So Philly get the one seed. Our colleague Moedou thinks they got their mojo back and they're locked and loaded for the playoffs. Well, they are locked and loaded for the playoffs. And, you know, there was a little bit of a lull there uh, at the end and certainly with the, the, uh, the Charlotte result and everything. But they're the best team. And, you know, I'll I'll talk about uh, Montreal in a little bit here, but Philadelphia 
rightly has deserved this. And the poison chalice that is the supporter's shield, they might look back and say, well, it would have been nice and everything, but you know, given the actual math when it comes to you know, seven teams out of 26 that have won supporter shield that have gone on to win MLS Cup. Um, and what did we say? Four out of the five last MLS Cup winners have come from the East. So it's sitting up nicely for Philadelphia, but they, even though they get the bye, they're still going to have some work to do when it comes to the East. Uh, so the East matchups, as you mentioned, Philly get the bye. Red Bulls host Cincinnati, NYCFC, quote-unquote, host Inter-Miami. Although, <laughs> the fact that that game is being played at Red Bull Arena, Moe Du said that's basically a neutral venue game for him. Uh, and then Montreal host Orlando. Thoughts on those matchups? Okay, so, so going to Montreal, which is a really good team, and I know they suffer for the general MLS public, but also just even for us that are in it, they suffer from being in the Great White North. Um, but that doesn't that shouldn't take anything away from what Wilfred Nancy has done with that uh, that team right now, and they are very good. And the interesting thing is how good they have been on the road, and now through their efforts, in large part on the road, including this last game here, they are hosting a game against Orlando. Even with as good as Montreal is on the road uh, relative to Orlando, which has not been good at home, even though they got this last game, I still think Montreal beats Orlando. I don't think that Orlando, despite making the playoffs and everything and winning uh, Open Cup, is even close to as good as Montreal. So I think Montreal beats uh, Orlando. I think NYCFC takes care of Miami in, in Red Bull Arena. The one, the one thing and the one away team that I will pick is Cincinnati going into Red Bull Arena and beating the Red Bulls. All right. What do you got? Um, I agree. Montreal, NYCFC, and Cincinnati okay. would be my winners in the East. All yep. Right. All right, cool. Uh, anyway, anything else? Uh, no, so the MLS playoffs are upon us. They are upon us. Uh, we will be broadcasting games coming up, um, and uh, you should check those out. And this is where it gets really, well, it's always interesting, but even more interesting right now. And it's been... Uh, weeded out, if you will. And all of these teams that did things, a lot of a lot of them did great things in the regular season, that is all forgotten. And now it is all about winning MLS Cup. And even though, whether it's Matt Doyle or anybody else can talk all they want about the Supporters' Shield, it is about Major League Soccer's MLS Cup. That is what is remembered. That's where the confetti comes. That's where the song is. And that's ultimately what the goal is for all of these teams. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a trip around Europe. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. Uh, Mossy, there's all sorts of stuff that happened over in Europe last week. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, we're going to begin by hearkening back to Friday's England-USA women's friendly. I'm very glad Sean Sullivan included this in the rundown. Uh, we have to talk about uh, your behavior that day. <laughs> uh, England 2-1 victory. Uh, Lauren Hemp and Georgia Stanway with the goals. Sophia Smith scored for the U.S. Uh, Trinity Rodman had a goal controversially ruled out by VAR. 
You have a thing with England more so than any other country. It's palpable. Everybody noticed it. You were really amped up for this match. It started in the pregame when Ali Wagner deigned to suggest that England was the best team in the world. You got super angry at that. You were also annoyed when they brought out the Euro trophy. During the match, I was listening to you on headset. You were very animated. And that disallowed goal drove you crazy. You're a guy that usually defends VAR decisions. That went out the window with that decision. And then after the final whistle, we go back to the studio. It's you, Rob Stone, Carly Lloyd. You made no attempt to be an analyst there. You were just a petulant fan. You told England, <laughs> congratulations on your little regional trophy and on winning this match only because of a ridiculous VAR decision. And we'll see you next summer. What say you? Uh, well, first off, I'm glad that I was there to provide the entertainment uh, for you. Um, so a couple of things. One, I still disagree with Ali when it comes to and, and it's 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 very close. And this is actually a good thing. It's a good thing for the U.S. Uh, and not just that England is there, but that they they beat the U.S. We've talked before about how before both of these last cycles and the U.S. has gone on and won, won a World Cup, they have gotten their their nose punched. And so maybe this is it. Maybe this is that reminder, that lesson that they seem to need before a World Cup. And they got it from somebody that is going to be hanging around for the foreseeable future and certainly next summer. And that is a good thing. So the money and the resources spent to make this team better has not only made England better, but is making women's soccer and in particular this rivalry now that we have with England that much better uh, for the U.S. Women's, uh, women's national team. And I think you can go both ways. I think you can de debate right now. Ali's uh, case was in this moment. And maybe, you know, the way she views the U.S. women's national team right now, it's much more of still a work in progress uh, under Vlatko Andonovsky. And I, I, can, I can understand that, but I still disagree. And ultimately, it will only matter next year. This was a friendly game. I did not think that bringing out your <laughs> European champion trophy was necessary, and I thought it was dumb, <laughs> and, and I thought it was ridiculous, and I said, and I said as much out there. And it is a regional trophy relative to the World Cup. Europe, last time I checked, is smaller than the world, and the United States women's national team are the champions of the world, and England are the champions of Europe. So Europe, so they had their moment, they brought out their trophy for for what reason? I have no idea at all. Okay. And then they got their uh, their result, their 2-1 result. And ultimately, if they don't get the result next summer, whether it's against the U.S. or, or anybody else, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to remember. I was uh, texting with Warren Barton during all this. He was reveling in your behavior. <laughs> and I have to say, it got me very excited for November 25th. Oh, oh. well, I mean, you, you don't want to be greedy when you're a U.S. fan. And beating England twice in one year might be a bridge too far. It might have been too much. So in that sense, maybe the women also, they're benevolent, right? They, you know, they like to prop up others. And in doing so, maybe they gave England a little, another little pep that they need relative. Maybe they're just setting up for next summer. And maybe they said, you know what? We're going to take the hit in the US England moment that we are in in 2022 right now. And we'll let the men in November get the real result. And I will say on a serious note, then we'll move on. Uh, very impressed with Sophia Smith and Trinity yes. Rodman in this game. You put Mal Pugh back in that equation, hopefully Katarina Macario. I mean, the U.S. has some young talent up front that's scary. Sophia Smith, I thought, was wonderful uh, up there. Gurma in the back, I thought, was really, really good. 
Um, I did not think that Megan Rapinoe was good. I didn't think necessarily that Cook was good in the back. So there's still some questions. But, you know, the the Becky Sauerbrunn not starting, uh, who knows if that's a harbinger? Uh, who knows whether she is going to be there? All of us as center backs and certainly ones that are, were never fleet of foot, and I would include Becky in that, it, it, it you know, it gets to be a problem because you can be the smartest player in the world. And when people talk about, yeah, you know, he just uses their brain more. Well, no, that, that only works so much. At a certain point, you have to have the physical abilities to deal with. And if somebody is just faster and stronger than you, it's very, very, diffi uh, very, very difficult. And this England team challenged the U.S. on a continual basis um, in ways that they haven't been challenged. That why, that's why this game was so good. You know, despite, despite my antics and screaming and yelling and all that kind of stuff, ultimately, this was good. This was a good test, and this was good for Vlatko to measure individuals, whether it's a Sophie Smith or, uh, uh, or Rodman or anybody else, against some very, very good players. And this team as a whole, which we just rarely get to see play against quality competition, to be in that environment, 90,000 people in Wembley, Wembley, and to see how they reacted. And there's still players to come back, like you, uh, like you mentioned. You know, who knows if... Katarina is going to be back, or uh, uh, Alex, uh, who will certainly be back. She just missed this with uh, with injury. So there were, are some options. It was not a full strength women's national team. All right, one more thing before we we move on. And I know we've this has gone a little bit long, but I want to say this because you were yelling or at me uh, about my yelling when it comes to the offside. I, there's nothing in that in that frame that I saw that was offside, and therefore I think it's BS. the The goal was called. And then VAR is there to clean it up. But it didn't clean it up. And the camera angle in which they showed was ridiculous. And ultimately, that was the decider in the game. Because if that finishes, if that goal is allowed to stand, it's 2-2. And I think the game probably finishes 2-2 ultimately. Uh, and wasn't a great second half or anything like that. But that's why I was so irritated. It's one thing if we have all the cameras and I'm able, I'm able to see. And I know it's subjective ultimately. But this isn't. This isn't like, oh, just a little bit off here or maybe. This was a camera that looked like you know, my, my mother was in the stands with her or their iPhone over here. And that's the one that we use. So that's what that's what set me off when it came to uh, that offsides call. Beautiful goal. Ultimately, I'm counting it. I am counting it. I don't care what they say in terms of the uh, Wembley technology when it comes to VAR. All right, Mossy. Uh, do you want to know an American who started in England this past weekend? Who's that? Christian Pulisic. Oh, I know him. As we transition to the Premier League. Pulisic made just his second start of the campaign as Chelsea played host to Wolves. Almost scored in the first half. Beautiful curling shot that forced a great save by Jose Sa. Then Pulisic did score in the second half. Nice left-footed finish assisted by Mason Mount. Had, I thought, a decent overall performance. Nothing special, but the goal sort of glosses it up. Uh, what do you think? Might this finally be the turning point in this situation? No, why? Why would it be? Why, why is this any different? We've seen him at times have moments of brilliance and and. You know, the way you're, look, you're framing it, this was just a moment of brilliance in an otherwise okay, mediocre performance. I think, the, I think a lot of the narrative of this comes out, it's one thing if he is being mediocre and everybody else is being great, um, but he, he doesn't seem any better or worse and oftentimes takes, takes criticism. And I know maybe I'm sensitive to it. I was going to say, both you and Eric Winalda, within minutes of each other, and, and you and Eric, the two most important people in my career, uh, <laughs> so I took notice of this, both of you tweeted uh, about the English announcers exhibiting an anti-Pulisic bias. So that was something you picked up on during this game. Uh, and, you know, and it's not just in this game. I think that there, 
I think that, you know, and, and again, I, I, I recognize that I, I'm overly sensitive to it and I am overly maybe protective of American players. I mean, the reason other than doing my job that I would tune in to Chelsea is because they have an American player. I have no affiliation with Chelsea. They're not my favorite team or anything like that, but they're a big club. They play interesting soccer. And more importantly, they have an American playing right now. But yeah, I do think that at, at times he is, and this isn't a woe is me type of situation, but it, I think at times he is used, if you will, or scapegoated relative to others. There's plenty of criticism to go around when it comes to Chelsea. And it just often seems to land on him. And he's a big boy. He can take it and, uh, and figure it out. Doesn't mean, need me protecting. Um, and just, I just, you know, I just, it, it, it hit me. And maybe it's, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're just a little bit, you know, oversensitive to things, uh, to things like that. And, you know, the broadcast was fine and the broadcasters are wonderful. Jackie's even, you know, uh, on our team when it comes to uh, working uh, the World Cup and she's phenomenal and can't wait to work with her. But uh, was it Robert Green that uh, she was doing the, uh, the game with? Yeah. And that's okay because I know I've been on the other side where people are saying the same things about the way that I have broadcasted a game or the way that I've talked about a game. Hell, we just did a segment where, you know, you were affected dramatically by the things that I said. Uh, staying with the American theme, Fulham uh, fall 3-1 away to West Ham. Anthony Robinson came back from injury, started, played pretty well. Tim Ream started also. I thought Fulham were victimized by some really dodgy officiating. Didn't love that penalty with Pereira and Craig Dawson tussling in the box. And that Skamaka goal was ridiculous where he controlled it with his hand. How VAR didn't spot that. So Fulham had a real gripe there. Um, uh, I'm happy that Ali Wagner's favorite player, Lucas Paqueta, got an assist on that play, but nevertheless, that goal should not have counted. But uh, from an American standpoint, good to see Anthony Robinson back. You thought the goal should not have counted because... He controlled it with his hand. Well, you sure? Absolutely. Okay. Right. You, you thought it was questionable? I don't, I don't know. I mean, okay, that's, that's fine. At least, at least in those, I can, I, can, I can talk and they have camera angles that are appropriate. But that there is VAR controversy in England. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised when the women's national team was playing. I shouldn't have been surprised that there was VAR controversy or ineptitude when it comes to VAR when it happens on the shores over there in, uh, in England. It seems to be just part of the culture there. Uh, let's do Leeds next. Oh, okay. uh, they right. suffered a two undefeated away to Crystal Palace, but positive on the American front. Both Aronson and Adams played well. Aronson very involved in the Leeds goal. He had this mazy run, a shot off the post, and then they put in the rebound. It's wonderful. So, but but lesson learned: if you're Jesse Marsh, don't take an American off the field. As soon <laughs> as he took Aronson off the field, what happened? Boom! Goal. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then uh, the two biggest games in England this weekend occurred on Sunday. First up, Arsenal beat Liverpool 3-2. to two. Just a phenomenal match. Martinelli in the first minute. Nunez equalized. Saka late in the half set up by Martinelli. Firmino 2-2. Two, two. And then Saka from the penalty spot. 3-2. You got to keep two things in your head. Um, <laughs> Arsenal played well. There's such a fun team this season. I think on balance, they deserve the three points. But you also have to acknowledge that uh, Liverpool have a real gripe with the officiating. First of all, that was definitely a penalty on Gabriel in the first half when Jota crossed it. It hit his arm. Uh, same exact play as the Orlando City Columbus. Exactly. And why is it a penalty in one, I think, uh, not I the think other? We get, we get hung up on um, 
is it you know natural position okay okay you can you can you can be in a natural position but if that natural position is keeping a shot from going on goal then you know i mean in this day and age you should put your arms behind your back defenders do that now whether you like it or not that's just the safest way to you know to protect yourself when it's uh you know, when, when, especially in the box. And then the even bigger controversy, I mentioned the game-winning goal with Saka from the penalty spot. That decision, Gabriel Jesus going down very soft and a challenge very by suspect. Thiago Alcantara. So, very so yeah, I think Liverpool, they're all over the place defensively. They have their issues, but they also can point to the officiating no, in this it, game. It, I think it would be, they would be screaming louder and we would be screaming louder if you felt they got robbed but this is not a great Liverpool team right now, and Klopp would be the first person to admit it. They are 14 points back of Arsenal, 13 points back of City. They host Manchester City next week, and I know it feels hot take to proclaim a team out of the title race in mid-October, but if they lose to City next week, and they are out. I mean, yeah. It's, it's not, that's not that hot take. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody has come to the realization, not the least of which is Jurgen Klopp, that this is going to be a long, uh, unsuccessful season relative to what they have been. Manchester United, 2-1 winners away to Everton. They went down early. Then Anthony equalized. First Manchester United player ever to score in his first three Premier League appearances for the club. And then Cristiano Ronaldo, who had only come on for an injured Martial, he makes it 2-1, assisted by Casemiro, the 700th club goal of Cristiano's career. So even in this terrible time for him, the guy is still reaching milestones. I mean, people, people talk about transition and playing out of the back. And I mean, it was all on display here. I mean, that Casemiro, the, the transition from off, or in this case, from defense to offense, and then the ball put through was just so clinical and so quick. And then obviously Ronaldo taking over. So careful, Everton, you, you know, you, you poke, it's still a bear. It's not a big grizzly bear when it comes to Manchester United, but it's still a bear. And if you poke it, it will get angry. I'm going to connect uh, these two things. Josh Sargent scored again for Norwich against Preston North End. And Ricardo Pepe scored twice for Groningen. He has four in the last three games. So that's two young American strikers producing at club level. Does that make you feel any better about the situation going into Qatar? Well, the question that, well, first off, the players that are potentially going to be the strikers for the U.S. men's national team scoring, in my expert opinion, that is a good thing. The question that we have to answer is the level at which they are now finding success. Is that because that is just where and who they are? Um, and is that good enough for the international level against the likes of England, Wales, and Iran? And I, I don't know. And I'm, as you know, I'm prone to say that form is fallacy. Um, having said that, are they are they different players? Is Pepe a different player than he was? I don't think so, but he's scoring goals and therefore he's now a better player. I, I just don't think that it that it works like that. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy. And this is better than the alternative. But what worries me is if you're finding success doing something in a certain way and with a certain level of challenge. Uh, and adversity. And we then say, all right, that's fine. But then when you get put into a World Cup situation, the challenge becomes different and the level of adversity either becomes different or just in many cases is just raised and you're not able to conjure it up. So that's 
it's good. It's good that Pepe's scoring, and I'm glad that this exper- experience and experiment, if you will, to get him to a place where he's playing number one and he's able to score is paying off, as it is with uh, Josh Sargent. So that's it for England with a little pit stop in the Netherlands. We'll go to Germany next, where their classicer lived up to the but billing. Finally, yep. right? Bayern had a 2-0 lead thanks to goals by Goretzka and Sané. They looked to be cruising. 17-year-old Mukoku made it 2-1, assisted by Anthony Modeste, who had come on as a sub. And then Modeste equalizes deep in stoppage time. It finished 2-2. Incredible scenes at Signal Iduna Park. Bayern with only one win in their last six league games. So that it lives up to billing is wonderful, okay? You know, I'm, I'm not ready to say that Bayern Munich has, well, they have problems, okay? But it just seems like they're coasting. It just seems like they have other gears that they can go to. But they're lollygagging. They're lollygagging, Mossy, right now. And it showed in this game. And you saw Oliver Kahn in the stands, the meme now of, you know, the dagger in the heart. Because... That game should have been put away. And the way we, in which we view Bayern Munich, that's a team that should put this game away. Even though you're playing away, even though you're playing your major rival, it, it should have been done and dusted. And that they let this team back in, in Dortmund come back. And in that way, yeah, that's, that's bad. And that should signal problems. Uh, Gio Reyna did not play, but he's close. He might be available for their Champions League game against Sevilla. Knock on wood, yep. Um, Bellingham is the next guy they're going to sell for big money. They're talking about next summer, either Real Madrid or Liverpool buying for 100 million euros. And then Mukoko will be the next guy after that. He's a wonderful talent, really emerging this season. I think he'll stay another season and become a full-blown star in the next campaign. And then summer of 2024, he'll be the, the guy to move on for 80, 90, 100 million euros. Uh, wonderful talent there. Uh, the big game in Serie A this weekend, AC Milan beat Juventus 2-0 at the San Siro. Tomori late in the first half, and then Brahim Diaz with a sensational goal in the second half. On the American front, Wesson McKinney did not start. Washes his hands. Washes his hands of it. <laughs> Came on at the start of the second half. Not too worried about him. Um, I think he'll continue to get plenty of playing time there. We do have to have a conversation about Sergio Dest because... AC Milan are down two right backs due to injury right now, uh, Florenzi and Calabria. So we all thought, well, they have no choice but to play him. But apparently he was so bad against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge that Stefano Pioli did not trust him Who here. was good? Who so was good? He took a center back, Kalulu, moved him to right back. Kalulu played very well. Uh, Milan fans were praising his performance afterwards. So I think it might stay that way for the foreseeable future. So even on a team that has no other right backs available, I think Sergino Des might have a tough time getting on the field. Just reading the comments, the way AC Milan fans talk about him, he's a guy whose stock is really going down right now. I mean, we say it all the time. He is a, <laughs> he's, a, he's a strange dude, okay, in, in, in a good way. And he's, he's eccentric as a person and he's eccentric as, as a player. And that that doesn't fly. Uh, well, it can fly. It's like uh, the uh, Bull Durham with, uh, you know, on your on your shower shoes, whatever. <laughs> uh, it's great as long as you are performing. And if you're not, and if you're not buying into what's going on, and I'm not, I'm not saying he has or hasn't, but yeah, it's a, this is a problem for him. I mean, the move was made designed to get him to a place where he had a better chance of playing. You have a ten point. Ten points back of leaders Napoli, who continue to roll. They won four-one against Cremonese, and you have a seven points back of fourth place AC Milan. So they're even digging a hole for top four. Uh, so they got to get going there. Um, 
And then just to end the segment, we had some big, big games in Europe this weekend. We've talked about Arsenal-Liverpool, Dortmund-Bayern, Milan-Juventus. Some great games to look forward to next weekend, including Clasico, Real Madrid against Barcelona. They're level on points atop La Liga. Both have seven wins and one draw. They both had labored 1-0 victories this past weekend. Real Madrid away to Getafe. Militão with the only goal. Barcelona home to Celta Vigo. Pedri with the only goal. And now they will collide at the Bernabeu uh, next week. That's something we'll preview on our second podcast of the week. Also, big game in France to look forward to next weekend. PSG will host Marseille and Le Classique. They're just separated by three points. Uh, Messi's fitness suddenly an issue. He missed this past weekend's game. PSG held to a nil-nil draw away to Hans. Uh, and Messi has already been ruled out for the Champions League game against Benfica. So they'll hope to get him back for Marseille. So again, we'll also preview that game later in the week. So Messi down, Ronaldo up. Uh, you see how it changes? In the week. Uh, by the way, congratulations to Ronaldo. 700 goals. That's uh, not too shabby. huh? And he, and he took it well. He took it well. We'll see if this changes his fortunes going on, because going on, it has not been a great year for, uh, for Cristiano. Uh, all right. Anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right. We'll take another quick break. And when we come back, ooh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back, and it's time for uh, Ask Alexi, that portion of the show where you send in your questions, your comments, your concerns on all the different platforms that we have out there. You use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, and keep in mind that our uh, social media platforms uh, and our handle is SOTU with Alexi, and use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, or as a lot of people are doing, or we're getting bombarded in a good way with uh, with calls, people calling into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. Mossy, what do we have this? Uh, first up, a uh, voicemail. Hey, this is Miguel from Los Angeles. I love your pod. Um, so my question is, um, my team, Independiente del Valle, won the Sudamericana. But like Mossy said, I was concerned and not happy that the stadium was halfway full. So I was asking, I wanted to ask Alexi and Masi if the U.S. should host Sudamericana finals or Libertadores finals. And that could also be a way of promoting um, the 2026 World Cup. So uh, let me know what you think and love the pun. Bye. All right. Well, thank you, Miguel, uh, for your call. I mean, you had mentioned last week about the uh, the scenes outside of the stadium and the uh, you know the the problems when it comes to getting getting fans there. So I, I guess this is a interesting type of suggestion or possibility. But I mean, shouldn't you get your own house in the order before you <laughs> try to export it out? And I, look, I, I, you would not be the first entity out there that have looked to greener pastures and looked at this emerging market in the U.S. and said, hey, there's there's gold in them there, Hills. Well, first off, I'm glad somebody understood my Copa Sudamericana recap because according to Sean Sullivan, I was talking 100 miles an hour when I did that. And uh, <laughs> he told me I needed to slow down when I'm doing my South American club football recaps. But yeah, congratulations to Nebenendo Valle. As we talked about, it's an incredible story. But yeah, I don't like this idea at all. 
Uh, I mean, I'm sorry that this might upset some people, but does everything have to be in the United States? You know, they're, well, they're we're, we're awesome. I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, and, I, and I'm I'm being facetious. No, I'm not being. Facetious. I understand there's awesome, a I understand there's a business side of it, well, but they're okay. talking about the Club World Cup being here. I've even heard suggestions about the UEFA Champions League final being here. They're talking now about an MLS team taking part in the UEFA Super Cup just to find some contrived reason to have that here. This guy wants a Libertadores and Sudamericana finals here. I mean, it's a bit much. I'm in favor of CONMEBOL and CONCACAF merging and the centenario becoming the norm in lieu of a Copa America Gold Cup, just having a tournament of the Americas every year, which is the big tournament in this region of the world. But again, anytime we talk about that, it's always assumed that it would be in the United States. Like that's the whole reason to do it. And I, I think that undercuts some of the benefit for the U.S. national team. You played in a Copa America in Uruguay. That was a great experience for you. I think this generation of players could benefit from that. But no, if, if we're ever going to do that whole uh, combined Conmebol, Concacaf thing. Of course, it has to be in the United States. So I, it, it is a little bit much, this idea that everything has to end up being in but the United States. But you're <laughs> saying that, of course, it has to be in the United States. The fact is that many of the people that are either organizing it, and let's be honest, the, the not so dirty little secret is there that many of the players and the teams, they enjoy having tournaments in the U.S. You get to come to a country, okay, where you are adored by a fan base that exists and that it is emerging. And the unique aspect of our, uh, of our diversity that we have means that you can come to a place like the United States and still have your adoring public and still make money. And you know, you know the United States, with all of its incredible resources, with its, uh, uh, you know, with, like I said, the ability to pay higher ticket prices with the facilities that uh, the United States can offer, all of those different things. There's a reason why it's appealing. There's a reason why FIFA is coming back in 2026 to the United to the United States. So that I understand. But is in doing so, is that hurting ultimately your region that you are responsible? Uh, and I think you could probably say that it is. Having said that, Masi, you know, the, the globalization of your product, you need look no further than every league in Europe and in particular what the EPL has done. It is not an English league. It is an English league that is exported and marketed to the world. And it is, in many senses of the word, the world's league at the, at the EPL. So, you, you know, you can't fault anybody for looking to American shores to better their business ultimately, especially if it's a, you know, a compact type of tournament type of situation here. And I would be in favor of MLS and Liga MX teams competing in the Libertadores and Sudamericana. And there's a rotation system now for where to put the final and then the US and Mexico would enter that rotation. But again, I don't think it, it would mean, it should mean that then every final every year is always in the US. And what you have to be careful of though, is don't kill the golden goose, right? You know, part of the attraction oftentimes when these games happen and when people come to our shores is, notwithstanding El Tree, is still the rarity of it. And the, the for lack of a better word, the novelty of it. And so if, if it just became a, a, a continuation and a continual type of thing, at some point people are going to get bored. I mean, the reason, you know, why... It, why aren't they getting the crowds at home? Why aren't people, why isn't it relevant at home? Yeah, the feeling is that uh, in 
South America, the logistics for travel and, and they're making the ticket prices a bit too high and that the Libertadores is such a big game that that is drawing good crowds. But the Sudamericana, it's kind of the equivalent of the Europa League. It's not quite as big. Some smaller clubs have gotten into the final where they don't have as big of fan bases. They don't travel as much. So th that's been sort of the issue. Um, so, Well, look, it, while, while the markets and the fan bases exist, um, you have to be careful that you don't abuse that and that you don't talk down um, or do things to dilute the value that they bring. And they are discerning and they will very, very quickly suss it out. And there are examples of teams or entities out there that have gone in and either through pricing or just, you know, a game after game after game have, like I said, killed that uh, golden goose. So I don't think that this is happening anytime soon. Um, and I don't think it probably should happen ultimately to your point. Uh, another voicemail. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Mossy. This is Mario calling from Michigan. Love the show. Um, Alexi, you had said in a recent pod that um, Greg ran out of time uh, to get this team playing the kind of soccer that he wanted to be playing uh, and that they needed to go for a simpler approach. I think my concern with that is that if we're going to play so if we can't play out of the back um, and we're going to need to lump it forward and try to win second balls, that the most skilled players on our team are – that's not the system that they're um, going to thrive in. So I'm thinking of, uh, you know, Christian Pulisic and Brennan Aronson being able – you know, being the ones who will be competing aerially with the, with the center backs of the other teams fighting for those long balls in the air – I, I, I just worry that we don't have the, the personnel to succeed in that simpler system. I know that doesn't leave a, a solution, but do you worry about playing a, a more simple, direct style with the, the type of attacking players that we have? Thanks. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Mario from Michigan. So what I hear Mario saying is that He's concerned we don't have the players to play a simpler style, and yet he and min many others, and, and I've certainly made this, this case at different times, we also don't have the players to play a, a more, let's, for lack of a better word, progressive type of style. You know, I think my point is that there, there, comes, a, there comes a point when you have taken it as far as you can. That doesn't mean that in that moment, because you haven't gotten to where you initially thought you were going to be, that you go all the way back to the beginning. It's just a recognition that if you continue to go forward, it could possibly be to the detriment of the way that you are playing, as opposed to doing what you have done to get to wherever you are, but also taking into account that you can do. And, you know, he mentioned long balls, and it's not a pejorative, okay? And and I'm not by any by any stretch of the imagination suggesting that this national team, this particular national team that I do think has advanced and progressed and evolved, should go back and every single time that if it's Matt Turner in goal, he gets the ball, that everybody goes up the field and you just kick it as far as they possibly can and hope for the best when it comes to that. I'm just saying that at times when I see this team thinking and the wheels spinning 
they, they are thinking, this is what Greg wants us to do in this, in this moment. And it's risky. It's risky in general, but it's also risky when you don't have the players that have done it long enough or are of the talent enough to be able to do it on a consistent basis to not get dinged. And so, I, yeah, I mean, look, Mario, I, I think that the way that this team ultimately shows up in Qatar, win or lose, I think ultimately is going to be a hybrid where you have evolved and this team does play out of the back at different times. But more importantly, something that we haven't seen, and we didn't see in this last window, but we have seen in the past, they also at a certain point become pragmatic and recognize that what is needed for that moment is not this romantic progressive type of risk. But what is needed in, in that moment is to get the result or get the, you know, get the deed done. And sometimes it has to be done, quote unquote, ugly. And if that is regressive, that's fine. But I think that is still in their bag of tricks. And I don't necessarily see it as an abandonment or a betrayal ultimately, of the principles. I just think that it's Greg Berhalter has grown. This team has grown. And while he would like them to be in a more advanced position, the reality is that you know, with a month to go here, that's not going to change. And so it would be to their detriment to try to, to, try to play as if they are four years down the line. Who knows? 2026, it might be different. But right now, this is as good as it gets. Hey guys, it's Alejandro from Las Vegas. Just want to say uh, hi and you know, I love the show. I wanted to ask you guys a question about the, uh, I think it's called the League's Cup. I was reading more about it today and I was seeing that uh, it's going to comprise about 90% of the Liga MX teams and about 90% of the MLS. Um, my only question to that is, uh, how is how is CONCACAF okay with this? I feel like this really undermines the Champions League. Uh, personally, I'm for it. I think the League's Cup is actually a better better thought out tournament and a little bit more competitive just because the two leagues that we participating in it i know canada isn't as well but how is conga cop okay with this uh, i would, would like you guys to take on that thank you all right so and we're not going to get too much into the weeds when it comes to <laughs> the league's cup but the 2023 version of league's cup will involve major league soccer and league mx and all of the teams are going to participate the the leagues will actually take a break a month-long break which is unprecedented uh, other than when it comes to World Cups, but for this particular partnership. And it's it's been over the last couple of years coming and it's been done in a very small testing type of way over the last couple of years. But this is the first big tournament. And I think the importance of it is relative to what we talked about, the number of teams that are participating. It's all going to be played in the United States. Again, it goes back to our conversation there about you know, what makes the most sense, especially because while this is a competitive venture, this is also a business venture. Uh, it's all going to be played in the United States and there are going to be groups and there's a million different things. And like I said, I'm not going to get into all <laughs> of the different uh, rules and regulations when it comes to that. But in general, I think this is a good thing. I think that this is actually going to be very successful. We've talked time and time again on the Pod Mossy about the partnership and the continuing partnership with Liga MX and with Mexican soccer and that Major League Soccer's problem isn't that there aren't soccer fans in the United States, there's not enough MLS fans. And when it comes to the most popular league in the United States, it is Liga MX. And Liga MX teams, as El Tri also 
have used um, um, uh, have used the United States uh, as a wonderful and very fruitful uh, type of market, and will continue to do so in in this situation. Um, you know, we have seen now the rivalry between these two countries continue to grow, and not just at the international level, but at the club level. And this is not going away. As a matter of fact, I only think it's going to get bigger and bigger as we go as we go on. I love a tournament, Mossy, as you know, and that tournament type of situation and ultimately having somebody standing there with a trophy and what it means to the team that's doing it, but what it means to the league and ultimately to, in this case, the country, that's what they're trying to foster with these, uh, with these things. I think, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a good thing for both of these leagues, for both of these countries, and for the entity in of itself. I think that CONCACAF also recognizes that while it does have the potential to step on other things that they are doing, these two trains have left the station relative to other CONCACAF leagues out there. And if you can't beat them, join them or at least get on board and be supportive of what this possibly can be for the nation. I don't know how much it lifts all boats, but ultimately, League MX and MLS's responsibility is to make their entities better. And they see this partnership as doing that. Mossy, any uh, League, League's Cup thoughts? Well, I think to even it out, the League's Cup final should be in South America. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go tap into that market down there. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, sending in your questions. Again, use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. Or in this case, uh, we just had so many questions on the, uh, on the State of the Union podcast hotline that we decided to go with all uh, of your voices. And it's, it's cool. It's cool to hear you talk and talk about the show, but also to hear your voice. And it, it's a little bit different uh, of a dynamic. And we really appreciate it and uh, love the fact that so many people are calling. Again, 657-549-2297. Or as always, you can uh, send us in on the social media platforms out there. S-O-T-U with Alexi. All right, it's the end of our show. And so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I will give you my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It is the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, I thought what we'd do is, I, I get sent this uh, uh, this email each year from Major League Soccer for the end of the year awards. And in a last uh, episode of the State of the Union, I talked about my MVP uh, for the league and my criteria. And again, just so everybody knows my criteria, uh, it's only goal scorers because there's nothing more valuable than scoring goals. It's not how many goals you score, it's how many different games you score in. Uh, you have to make the playoffs, and because 50% of the teams make the playoffs, and penalties do not count, as a matter of fact, I think that they should be a separate comment. That's when it comes to the MVP of Major League Soccer. Would you, would you, would you like to go through this with me then, Mossy? Uh, when, by the way, when I put all of that into my calculator, and my good friend Paul Carr actually does it for me, it spits out the numbers, and so, it is my absolute pleasure to announce to you that I will be voting for FC Cincinnati's Brandon Vasquez. He actually pipped Drusy right in the last weekend, last games. Both of them sit on 15, and my tiebreaker is assists, and Mr. Vasquez has eight assists as opposed to Drusy has seven assists. Uh, the final tally, if you, if you want, was Drusy and Vasquez tied at 15. Arango at 14, Chicharito and Gazdag at 13, 
and our friend uh, Hani Mukhtar, who a lot of people are uh, tipping as the uh, MVP, coming in at 11. So I am voting for my MVP as uh, Brandon Vasquez. What do you think about that, Mossy? Would you have a different one if you were voting here? I would have Mukhtar. You would have Mukhtar. All right. Uh, let's just go down the line because there's a couple here. Uh, goalkeeper of the year. I am going to go with what a lot of people I think are going to go with uh, Andre Blake. And as a matter of fact, our friend Moa Du, he had they won Supporter Shield, I think that was what was going to differentiate him from actually having Andre Blake as MVP of Major League Soccer. What about you? Uh, you got a goalkeeper of the year other than uh, Blake? No, I agree. I think Blake. it's runaway. I think it's yep. going to be runaway. Defender of the year is interesting. A lot of different defenders out there. I am going to go again, Philadelphia Union's Kai Wagner over there. I mean, the amount of uh, points that he tallied from that left backish type of position right there is truly amazing in terms of the offensive output that he had. Uh, no issue with that. No Wagner. issue with that. No. Uh, newcomer of the year. This is always interesting um, and is defined as a player who made his MLS debut in 2022. While there wasn't a whole lot to write home about when it comes to um, uh, New England Revolution, I think I'm going to go with another goalkeeper, Jordi Petrovic. I, I think he is that good. I, I'm not sure he's long for the New England Re Revolution or for this league, ultimately, but he came in and in a down year for the New England Revolution, he was not just the lone bright spot, but so bright that I think I'm going to go with new, Newcomer of the, year, of the Year for him. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go with Gareth ba No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you uh, got Ricky uh, Pouge out ha had, there. Had he been there the whole season, I might go with him. He's had a transformative Spidursky, impact on the Galaxy. Thiago Almada, that's a, that's a close one for me. He was really, really good. I, I, I think that he is actually going to come good from a business perspective for them, too. Maybe this is recency bias because we just did their game this past weekend. But Facundo Torres, could you make a case? He played well, got a pretty average Orlando team into the playoffs. Yep, you can definitely do Facundo Torres. Uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a whole list that they have here. None of them jump out. Uh, Guys like Cucho Hernandez, William Agata, very good. But again, just half a season, so... He yeah, I mean, well, I mean, my own thing isn't necessarily well. Okay, so yeah, I'm, that's who I'm going with is uh, is Petrovic over there. But there's a lot of possibilities out there, and you know, you can make up your own. Young player of the year, okay, uh, a young player who was age 22 or younger during the calendar year is eligible for the the award. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Cifuentes from LAFC. What do you think about that one? Yeah, no problem with that. You're, you're okay with that. Um, the What's the age criteria again? 22 uh, years old uh, at uh, younger or uh, during the calendar year. So, you know, you got your, let's see, you got your Jesus uh, Ferreira, right? I mean, so that that could certainly be good. I, I look at it also in terms of value and who knows? Look at Jesus scores a couple goals. <laughs> His value will be increased by a lot when it comes to that. Uh, so Brenner, uh, I think technically qualifies, born January of 2000. So he was 22 throughout this entire campaign. Yes, he does. He's on the list here. Brenner here. So you can go with Brenner. You're going to go with that? Yeah, I'll exhibit a little bias here. I'll go. With That's Brenner. okay. Tiago Amada, again, I mentioned, you know, certainly he's going to get some votes, even though Atlanta wasn't great. I think, you know, he was very, very good. So, there's, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. Uh, let's see who else. is. Yeah, I think that's that's who stands out. All right, so I'm going to go with Cifuentes. Uh, comeback player of the year. Honors an MLS player who has overcome injuries and or adversity in order to achieve success during the 2022 regular season. Now, 
I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go with Jeremy Abobasi. Okay. If I look through, you got players like Jordan Morris, Aiden Morris, uh, Aaron Long, Kai Kamara, uh, these types of players. I think I'm going to go with Jeremy Abobasi, Santiago Sosa for Atlanta, Tinner Home, Eric Williamson, who we talked about earlier in the pod, Gonzalo Higuain. Okay. I guess, yeah, technically he's come back. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, but I'm still going to go with Jeremy Bobasi. All right, so that's uh, that's that one. You okay with that? Yeah, I don't have a strong feeling okay. on that one. I don't either. have a strong feeling on that. Anyway, you know these are uh, these are my picks that I would uh, that I would send through. Again, congratulations to Brandon Vasquez. By the way, friend of the show. Okay, you come on the State of the Union, and good things happen to you. All right, so congratulations to him and to Cincinnati. They've done a really really good job, and it's fun to see. Although. It would have been fun to see him actually get brought into a camp. But who knows? They have another camp coming up here. I would, I would think, unless something is just ridiculously off, that at least he's going to get brought into this camp. But I don't know how much good that is going to do him relative to being on the, uh, on the playing come Qatar. And that, that announcement is going to come soon, And as is, the, uh, as is the World Cup. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. I've been told not to ask you twice if you have anything before we go, because I seem to do that out of, out of a nervous habit. So thank you for not having anything. And thank you for joining me here today. And thank you for listening and uh, subscribing and rating and downloading and doing all the different things and watching on all of the different uh, platforms that we have out of there. I will say this uh, as another thank you. The numbers are good, Mossy. People are tuning in to the State of the Union. And so we are on a upward trajectory when it comes to the amount of people that are discovering us, uh, especially when we're going twice a week now and all of the different content that we are putting out there and producer Sean and everybody behind the scenes right now is doing a great job to make it, uh, uh, make it good uh, of quality and to have it on a consistent basis. And we got some really interesting things actually coming up here as we lead up to the, uh, the world cup. And then obviously when we get to Qatar in the world cup, where we're going to be blowing it out from a digital perspective and a content perspective out there. All right. Until next time. Uh, and next time we'll be later on in this week. Thank you so much for listening to State of the Union Podcast. And until later on this week, size that day. <laughs>